0: This is video podcast 24 from learningradiology.com 10 Common Radiologic Pitfalls. Hello, I'm William Herring from Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. There are many causes of errors that can occur. One group deals with errors of technique. The body part may not be on the image or it may be improperly exposed. Another set of errors deal with errors of perception. There have been studies that have shown that, in some cases, observers did not fully examine the entire image. There's another kind of error of perception, which is called satisfaction of search, which we'll talk about later. There may also, of course, be errors of interpretation, and that may be due to a lack of adequate knowledge, which may lead to a failure of recognition of the finding. There may also be errors of judgment in which an item is thought to be one thing when it in fact turns out to be another and occasionally and this is more so for radiologists than those ordering the studies there may be misleading or incomplete clinical data which can lead to errors so this is the first case and obviously these are all pitfalls so that does bias the set of examples i'm going to show you But this is a three-year-old with shortness of breath. Look at the image and determine what you think. Pause your computer or MP3 player for each of these cases. This is the same patient just two minutes later. And if you thought that there might be airspace disease of some kind on the first image, it actually is all a pitfall of technique. First image, there are only eight posterior ribs showing. On the second image, there are about eight and a half to nine posterior ribs showing. But that's all the difference that's needed in order to change this from what looks like an abnormal radiograph into one that is obviously normal. So in this case, there's an inadequate inspiration. You would hope that in most cases, you'd see nine posterior ribs showing above the diaphragm. Here's case number two. The observer looked at this case and was questioning whether there was a mass in the right apex. What do you think? Well, if you look really closely at this so-called mass, you'll notice that at least part of it extends out of the thorax up into the neck. And this isn't a mass at all. This is actually an artifact. It's the patient's hair, which is gathered together in an elastic called a scrungy. Artifacts can introduce a whole series of pitfalls and lead to errors in judgment. So it's important that the patient be wearing only a gown and that all other extraneous materials which can produce artifacts be removed from around the patient. Here's another case. This is an elderly individual who it was thought might have swallowed a coin. Look at this image and what do you think? Well, if you decided on the basis of that one image that there was a coin at the esophagogastric junction, you can see that when you obtain an image at 90 degrees to the original, a lateral, that the patient is in fact wearing a coin around her neck, which is attached to her neck with this, by a string. This is an error in which adequate knowledge of obtaining an orthogonal or 90 degree view would be necessary in order not to fall into the pitfall of trying to localize an object using one and only one radiograph. Video podcast 3 deals with orthogonal views. Here's case 4. This is a child who fell and is complaining of pain in the neck. The observer was struck by the forward displacement of the body of C2 on the body of C3. What do you think? Well, the body of C2 actually is forward on the body of C3, but this is normal. This is called a pseudo subluxation. It is more common in children because of the laxity of their ligaments and the underdevelopment of some of their facets, and with the head flexed in a child, especially C2, may appear to be forward on C3. The way that you can tell the difference between this and a true subluxation is to use something called the posterior cervical line, which is indicated by the black line, that connects the spinal laminar lines of C1 and C3 and completely intersects the spinal line of C2. If the head were extended, there would be no pseudosubluxation. It would look normal. Here's your next case. This is a four-year-old who fell and has pain. And I'll show you exactly where the patient has pain. The question is, is this a fracture or is this a normal epiphysis or developmental structure? Well, this is an example of having adequate knowledge and being able to recognize abnormal. The case that I showed you is indeed a fracture. There's a transverse lucency at the base of the fifth metatarsal. That is a so-called Jones fracture. Whereas this is an example of the normal apophysis at the base of the fifth metatarsal. You'll see that it, unlike the fracture, is oriented longitudinally. And while an apophysis can be avulsed, it's relatively uncommon. And you should not confuse this normal apophysis with a fracture. So here's another example. This patient had recent colonoscopy and then began complaining of abdominal pain. A portable upright chest x-ray was obtained. What do you think? Well, if you were worried about free air beneath the right hemidiaphragm, this is an example of being able to recognize normal variants. If you look carefully, you'll see that there are several white transverse bands that cross the air in the right upper quadrant in the case that i showed you this represents haustral markings in the colon and this is what interposition of the colon between the liver and the right hemidiaphragm looks like it has a name associated with it it's called chylodidys syndrome it isn't really much of a syndrome at all this, on the other hand, is the true appearance of free air. You'll notice that there are no haustral lines, which distinguishes it from the interposition of the colon. Here's the next example. The observer noted that on the lateral radiograph of the chest, there appeared to be a nodule, which is shown by the white arrow. What do you think? Well, this, in fact, is not a nodule in the lung and is an example of mistaking one abnormality for another. When you see a density overlying the spine, which more or less is superimposed on the intervertebral disc space, as this is, then you have to think about the possibility that the so-called nodule is actually a large osteophyte. And if you look carefully on the frontal view of this patient, you can see that the red arrow is pointing to a very large osteophyte at this level, which can be easily mistaken for a lung nodule. Here's the next example. This is the upper half of a chest x-ray in which the patient was complaining of pain in the right clavicular region. What do you think? Well, if you saw this large exuberant callus formation you would have noticed that there, in fact, is a healed fracture of the right clavicle. But what's more important is that on the left side, the opposite side, there's complete destruction of the left first and second ribs, and there's a soft tissue mass in the apex of the lung. This is a malignancy. This is a pancos tumor at the left apex. So this is an example in which satisfaction of search, that is, finding a relatively larger abnormality, which draws one attention away from smaller and more subtle abnormalities could come into play colloquially this is sometimes called tunnel vision this patient has a frontal radiograph of the chest and if i give you the history of massive hemoptysis you might say correctly that this bilateral airspace disease could represent pulmonary hemorrhage. That would be entirely reasonable. If I show you the same radiograph and tell you that the history is the patient has fever, a productive cough, possibly chills, then you could look at the same radiograph and reasonably say that this represents diffuse pneumonia. If I show you the same radiograph and I tell you that the history, which in fact is the accurate history, was trapped in a burning building then you might accurately say that this represents non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema from smoke inhalation. The point being that if there is inadequate or incorrect history, it makes a tremendous difference in what the final impression or diagnosis might be. So it's always important to include as much pertinent history with any image that you order, regardless of whether it's CT, ultrasound, or whatever. And here's the last pitfall. This is a 43-year-old with a cough. This is a frontal image from a chest series. What do you think? Well, if you were busy looking at the right heart border and wondering whether this patient had a pneumonia in the right middle lobe, she, in fact, does not have a right middle lobe pneumonia. That's just overlying soft tissue of the right breast. But what the patient does have, or more accurately doesn't have, is either clavicle. The right clavicle is completely missing. The left clavicle is partially missing. This is a patient who has a disease called cladocranial dysostosis which is a developmental disease in which midline structures sometimes don't form correctly, such as the clavicles. So this could be an error of perception in which a particular portion of the film was not viewed because of abnormalities perceived on another area of the film. So here's your mini quiz. Obviously it's going to involve a pitfall. This is a 48-year-old who fell on their knee, This is a frontal radiograph. The arrow points to the point of maximum pain. Do you think this is a fracture or not? If you said that the patient has a bipartite patella, you would be correct because there is a developmental anomaly in which the upper outer aspect of the patella does not fuse to the remainder of the patella. It's not uncommon. It usually is bilateral, frequently is bilateral, and the edges of the bipartite patella will be smooth and sclerotic. That's in distinction to the patient on the right, who has a fracture of the patella, in which the patella is divided into an upper and lower half that are distracted from each other, a true fracture of the patella.